the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 22, Frying Pan to Fire, Part 1. Are you okay? Robert asked. Uh, one of those days, you know, Martin gasped. They're gone, said one of the men in the cage. I think even the guard by the door is gone. Martin staggered up to the desk. Uh, we need to be gone, too. He turned around so his tied hands could grab one of the knives off of the desk. He backed up to Robert, who took the knife and cut Martin's ropes. Martin freed the other two. Hey, what about us? asked a man in the cage. What about you? asked Robert. We got no keys. What do you expect us to do? Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe give us one of those knives? Oh, what are we going to do with a knife in here? asked the other man. Uh, just said I don't know. Uh, but having a knife in this hellhole is better than not having one. Well, here, you can have my little folder, said Martin. He slid it across the floor. The men's fingers eagerly caught the little knife and coaxed it under the galvanized pipe frame. Eh, they always had a guard at the outer doors, said one of the men. Eh, you'll never get past them. Hey, why don't we go out a window, asked Trevor. He pointed to the corner office. The long casement windows were cranked open slightly for ventilation. It would be a modest drop from the window to the ground. Sold, we go by window. Martin pushed his pistol into his waistband and his hunting knife back into its sheath. He grabbed his carbine. Where's our mags? Robert asked. No idea, said Martin. They must have put them somewhere else, but we don't have time to look for them. We've got to get out of here. Robert and Trevor nodded their agreement. There were no guards visible in the back playground. Martin was the last of the three to drop from the window to the brown grass. The man, who had been rummaging through their backpacks, was on the far side of the horses, apparently searching the saddles for hidden loot. Martin and the others ran across the grass toward the horses, causing them to whinny and shift. Horses get uneasy when people come running toward them. The man came around from behind Diva to see what was agitating them. He looked up. Hey, why are you? was all he managed to say before Trevor body-slammed the man to the ground. A quick chop to his windpipe left the man gasping and writhing on the bark mulch. Martin rushed over to search the downed man for a gun. He had to disarm him, but Martin was also hoping to find a loaded weapon. He saw only a knife and a sheath on the guy's belt. Martin cut the man's belt to free the sheath. Ah, a replacement for my folder. No time to pack up all this stuff, said Robert. Someone's bound to notice we're gone. Well, just grab what you can, said Martin. His silver had been laid out in neat rows and a quarter-folded tarp. Oh, thank God. I hope it's all still here. There was no time to count. He grabbed the corners of the tarp to make an improvised bag. He shoved that into his backpack. The ammo boxes still had the ropes tying them together. He slung nose over his shoulder. He shoved his empty canteen through the open zipper. He pulled the heavy pack onto his shoulders. Robert had all three horses untied and handed their reins to their riders. Hey, 
shouted a distant voice from the corner of the school building. Stop right there! The man ran toward them, waving a pistol in the air. Martin swung up to the saddle and bounced to get Jasmine to run. Peaches galloped down the gravel driveway, away from the running man with the pistol. Martin and Jasmine followed. Diva was close behind. Gate! Robert shouted over his shoulder. Peaches leapt over the low vehicle barrier made of pipe. Jasmine leapt, too. Martin wasn't really ready or braced for the jump. His shoulders flew back. Thirty pounds of silver in his pack pulled him backwards. He would have fallen off if he hadn't grabbed the saddle horn at the last moment. When Jasmine landed, Martin was thrown forward onto her neck. She didn't stop her gallop. Martin pushed himself up to a more stable, crouched position. He glanced back to see Trevor leaned back in the saddle, his arms flailing. He was evidently holding on with his knees. The reins bounced loose around Diva's neck. She didn't need her rider to tell her to run. If the other two horses were galloping flat out, she would too. Robert turned Peaches between two houses and through a long backyard. Peaches jumped over a sagging section of chain-link fence. Jasmine's ears turned back and laid flat. Martin had that brief warning to prepare for Jasmine's next jump. He leaned low and forward, holding on to the pommel with his right hand, a tight grip of the reins with his left. He was still thrown forward at her landing. He got a mouthful of mane. The woods behind the yard were sparse. Jasmine kept her ears back as she galloped through the brush. Martin glanced over his shoulder. Trevor was riding too tall, but he had the reins in his hand again. The three horses burst out of the woods into the long clearing of a power line cut. They made skidding and scrambling turns to the right. Single wooden poles streaked with black creosote marched down the middle of the clearing. Without the clatter of hooves on pavement, Martin could hear the crackle of gunfire in the distance. Were they shooting at his group, or was it the battle over the bridge? If Robert heard the gunfire, he clearly didn't want to risk finding out. They came to a four-way intersection of power line cuts and a burned-out substation. Robert pulled up Peaches and turned her around. We need this left fork, he said. The horses can't keep this pace much longer. We'll stop after we put another mile between us and them, Martin nodded. Robert turned Peaches toward the left-hand power lines and set her into a sort of rolling lope. Jasmine copied the form. Martin found the gate far too bouncy. The heavy backpack bounced and pulled at his shoulders unpredictably. After roughly a mile, Robert signaled a stop after they had crested a low ridge. Let's give the girls a break to catch their breath. <laughs> we need a break, too. Martin slid down to the ground with a sigh of relief. He hurt all over and still had a mane hair in his mouth. Man, I didn't think we was going to get out of there, said Trevor. He wobbled toward Martin on unsteady legs. Oh, that old chick, she got her some anger issues. Tell me about it, Martin rubbed his cheek. Uh, the girls need to rest and calm down before we go on, said Robert. He rubbed Peaches on the neck and patted her head. She breathed deep and fast. Her eyes still had a wide and wild look to them. Slobber hung from Jasmine's mouth as she, too, huffed and wheezed. They walked the horses down the path for a hundred yards or so to let them cool down. Well, let's see what we can salvage, said Martin. 
he pulled the wadded tarp out of his pack. Counting the rolls of silver, he still had all 522 ounces. He was surprised it hadn't been all instantly looted by the bridgemen. Yeah, we got our guns, said Trevor, uh, but we ain't got no bullets for them. A yeah, fat lot of good that does, huh? Martin searched through his bag. His cookware, blanket, spare clothing were gone, as was the last of his food. He had his tarp, some cord, his canteen, and his knives. Well, looks like minimalist camping for the next few days, eh? Uh, no food left here, said Robert. I had to leave my big first aid bag behind. The good thing is, though, they didn't search my inside pocket. He pulled out his folded photocopies of the maps. Uh, this is great. We don't have to go by my memory. I remembered that cut ran up to the west side of Jeffrey, close to the school. Uh, but that was about it. Hmm, inside pocket, mused Martin. He reached deep inside the front section of his backpack. His fingers found a hidden zipper along the bottom. The little nylon case was still there. Inside the former digital camera case were various backup spares, some band-aids, a pair of antibacterial ointment packs, a few safety pins, a couple of AA batteries, some water treatment tablets, and two 9mm rounds. He had forgotten that he had stuffed two full metal jacket rounds in the case to fill the leftover void. He didn't like leaving any space empty. Well, looks like we've got two bullets. Martin held up one in each hand. He handed one to Robert. Martin locked open the slide of his pistol, inserted the single round into the chamber, and let the slide snap shut. Robert did the same. Well, now we've got two single-shot pistols. Eh, not much firepower, but better than nothing. Trevor shook a drop of water out of his canteen onto his outstretched tongue. Oh, man, I am dry. I ain't drunk since last night. Yeah, we gotta get us some water soon. Robert squinted at his maps. Well, the cut's supposed to cross a little lake a few miles up. We can refill there. Martin had redistributed his silver back to the two plastic ammo boxes and reattached them to the back of Jasmine's saddle. His pack felt nearly empty without the silver. He lashed the bag to the saddle, too. Well, we'd better get going, Martin said. We lost a lot of time back there. I don't think we can get to that state park before dark like we planned. Now we'll just have to bed down as best we can, said Robert. If the trail permits, we can do some trotting, if you boys are up to it. Trevor looked at Martin with a wince. Yeah, well, whatever it takes, said Martin. Uh, where's the lake? asked Trevor. Oh, you said it'd be just over that last hill. Uh, but there ain't nothing here but swamp. Robert scratched the back of his head as he studied the map. Well, it shows a lake on the map. Slight left turn in the power lines, we cross a little road, and then there should be a lake. Okay, so there's no lake, Martin added impatiently. Uh, maybe it used to be a shallow lake years ago. Obviously, cattails and swamp grass have taken over. What's the next water source ahead? Hmm. Robert stared more intently at his papers. Uh, there's a stream maybe another mile ahead. At least the map says there is. <laughs> like it said, this is a lake. Trevor whined. Me and Diva are super thirsty. Ain't we, girl? Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> Diva, girl, you tell the mean man to give you some real water. 
Robert rolled his eyes. Yeah, let's go find out, okay? We'll go around this swamp to the south. He prodded Peaches into a fast walk. After the previous wild gallop, the fast walk felt lazy and slow. Anxious to get to the state park before dark, Martin would have liked a trot, or even more galloping. He knew it wasn't good for the horses. They couldn't sustain a faster pace for as long as he wanted. Hmm. Cars can hum along at sixty miles an hour for hours on end, he mused to himself. <laughs> Living creatures can't. Martin wrestled with his guilt as they rode. Was the angry woman right? Had Martin's rebellious streak inadvertently caused scores of people's deaths? When he and the others in Cheshire chafed at Quinn's oppressive demands, he hadn't thought about anyone beyond his immediate circle in Cheshire. Were they responsible? Was he in some way responsible for other people's choices? Martin's thoughts were like a dog chasing its own tail. Ha! exclaimed Robert with a smug nod. The map was right, uh, this time. Behold, the stream! He held out his arms in a Moses impersonation. Sparkling in the afternoon sun, a narrow stream rushed through a shallow V-shaped gully that ran across the cut. All three men dismounted and grabbed their canteens. The horses hurried over to stand in the cold, ankle-deep water. Oh, man, said Trevor. I never thought water'd taste so good. Are you going to apologize to my maps? teased Robert. The maps are people, too, you know. Martin chuckled as he dipped the neck of his canteen beneath the ripples. It would still be a couple of hours before the tablets would have purified the water, but somehow knowing you have water makes you less thirsty. The horses whinnied, shook their manes, and looked like they were prancing in the water. Martin looked down to see three hands filling three canteens. Hey, wait, he said. If we're all filling up, then who's... Martin was suddenly knocked over as if struck by a car. He rolled, disoriented. Sky, grass, sky, grass. There were shouts, angry voices. Martin pushed himself up, only to be struck in the side of the head with something hard. Again, he was on the ground, this time facing up. A dark shape flashed into view above him. Instinctively, he rolled in the opposite direction. He felt a hand grab his shoulder. It wasn't a firm grip, so it slipped off. Rolling farther, Martin sat up to see a raider standing in a wide squat stance. He held a short and shiny knife in his right hand. Behind him, Martin could hear grunting and scuffling. He dared not turn to see what it was. The immediate danger stood before him. The man had an axe on his forehead. He shouted and rushed at Martin with his knife held up for a slash. Martin rolled right with the half-thought that the blade would have to travel farther to get to him. A millisecond of extra time seemed precious. The attacker slashed in a wide arc. There was just enough distance between the two men that Martin could swing his arm and strike the man's knife arm. After rewinding to slash again, Martin saw a tiny opening. He charged the raider, hitting him chest on chest. In the momentary imbalance, Martin reached for the man's knife hand. He grabbed his wrist as tightly as he could. The two of them toppled backward from Martin's charge. They rolled left and then right. The man was trying to get on top. Martin twisted, desperate to be anywhere but on the bottom. The man's other hand closed tight around Martin's throat. Martin clawed at the man's eyes. In one of their rolls, the man's knife hand landed on a flat rock. 
Martin could feel himself getting lightheaded. He pounded the man's fist against the stone. The third impact must have hit a nerve. The raider's hand flinched open for a moment. Martin saw the sun glint off of the knife as it fell into the tall grass. The raider released his grip on Martin's throat and turned to search for his knife. Martin kicked and twisted, throwing the man off of him. He threw himself at the raider again, hoping to keep him off balance while some brilliant plan came to mind. The two of them fell into the weeds again, but the thief got to his feet first. With both hands clasped together in a double fist, he swung and caught Martin below the ear. Martin crumbled onto his side. He looked up, anticipating the next attack, but his opponent didn't jump on him. Instead, the man looked up and ran away to his right. Martin scrambled to his feet, confused and short of breath. He staggered to keep his balance. He didn't win. Why was the fight over? Jasmine! The man grabbed Jasmine's reins, even though she tried to back up. She was upset, spinning left and right, but the man had her reins. He grabbed the saddle horn and pulled himself up like he was climbing a wall. He's stealing my horse! Martin noticed the two ammo boxes. He's got the silver, the medicine. Panic filled Martin's heart. Jasmine reared up a little, frightened by the strange rider on her back. Her bucking reminded Martin of his trip to town when he whistled and that upset her. She hates whistles. Martin put his fingers in his mouth to whistle, as loud as he could. He only blew air and spit. His heart pounded. His breaths were fast and deep. There was too much adrenaline for the finesse of whistling. Jasmine bucked and spun, but the rider held on. Martin noticed the man didn't have his feet in the stirrups. Martin tried to clear his mind of everything. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes. He imagined that he was at his grandmother's farm, calling her dog, Jackson. He put his fingers in his mouth again, tightened his lips, and blew. It wasn't the best or loudest whistle, but it was enough for Jasmine. She reared up as if she was going to walk on her hind legs. The man tumbled backward over her rump. Martin rushed over to take advantage of his vulnerable position. The man had no opportunity to get up. Jasmine turned on the fallen rider. She stomped on him with her front hooves. She turned on top of him and kicked. One rear hoof caught the top of his head. She turned again to jump on him and bite his ear. Martin thought the man might be dead. Hold on, girl. Ho, ho, hey, Jasmine. Hi, hi, girl. Uh, It's me, Martin. Uh, Easy, girl. Uh, Friends? It's it's okay now. What do you say to a freaked-out horse that doesn't sound stupid? Uh, Easy, girl. Jasmine paused and looked at Martin. He thought the horse had a look in her eyes that was saying, What do you want? Can't you see I'm busy trying to kill this man? It's okay. It's okay. He's down. Martin continued to talk low and soothingly while he reached for her reins. He stroked her neck and patted her shoulder. She continued to shift and turn. It'll be okay now. You're okay. He led her away. Looking back, Martin could see the man move slightly. He wasn't dead, but one of his feet was turned around the wrong way. He wouldn't be going anywhere. Martin looked back into the power line cut. Where were Robert and Trevor? What happened to the other raiders? A shot cracked and echoed through the trees. It came from the other side of the cut. Martin quickly tied Jasmine's reins to a small tree. He drew his single-shot pistol and crouch ran to investigate. On the other side of the cut, just inside the tree line, Robert stood above a heap of denim, sweatshirt, and hair. 
Robert had fired his one bullet. He flinched to aim at Martin as he ran up, forgetting that he had already fired his one and only shot. Oh, it's you, Robert said with relief. Uh, where's Trevor? I don't know. I only found you because of the shot. The two of them returned to the little stream, stood on the higher banks, and peered into the woods. Well, I don't hear anything, said Martin. If they were still fighting, we should hear something. Trevor, called Robert. Trevor! They heard a grunt from thirty yards down the same side of the cut that Robert had been fighting in. After a long minute of searching through the understory, they saw Trevor standing with his legs apart and a bloody knife in his hand. He stared at the ground. Two men lay face down in the weeds. Hey, Trevor, thank God you're okay, said Martin. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe uh, not so okay, Trevor said weakly. He pulled his hand away from his left side. It was covered in red. Oh, my God, said Martin. We need to get on that. It looks like you've lost a lot of blood already. Oh, maybe. But them dudes, uh, they lost a whole lot more. Thought they was all of that with the knives. <laughs> Schoolboys, he scoffed. Never mind. L let me have a look at that. Martin pulled away the torn jacket and shirt. Well, hard to say how deep it is. It doesn't look close to any vitals. Still, it keeps bleeding. Well, we got to stop that. Uh, let's get him out in the light, said Robert. See what we can do. Trevor tried to walk, but his legs acted like rubber. Martin came along one side, Robert on the other. They guided him into the clearing and laid him in the grass. Oh, it stops if we keep pressure on it, said Martin. Think there's more of them? Robert looked around warily. Oh, I don't know, but we got to get Trevor closed up before he goes into shock. I've got some cord in my bag. Maybe we can pack the wound. You, uh, you had clean socks. Let's use one of those. We can tie it shut with some cordage. I have some in my pack. I'll be right back. Martin jogged over to Jasmine, who had calmed down enough to start eating. While he fished inside his backpack behind the saddle, he saw the trampled raider move. After the momentary break from the fight, Martin could feel rage welling up again. That piece of crap almost stole the medicine money. It felt tantamount to an attempt on Margaret herself. For that, the man deserved elimination. The man looked up to face Martin as he strode up. He held the pistol in both hands, thinking that ending such scum was a good use of his one bullet. He had the X-Mark. He was legal fair game. The man looked up with a grimace of pain, but also a firmness to face his fate with defiance. Martin squeezed the trigger slowly, almost relishing the man's end. As Martin stared into the man's eye, a Bible verse flashed through his head. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. What? Martin said out loud. He lowered the pistol somewhat. Are you serious? He argued with God. The whole passage from Exodus 22 raced through his mind. It was a verse that came up when Christians discussed self-defense. Someone who killed a home invader in the night wasn't guilty of murder. But if it was daytime, restraint was expected. Martin couldn't, in clear conscience, kill the man. Now, what's the matter, Pansy? Don't got the guts? 
taunted the broken raider. Oh, shut up, snapped Martin. You're in no position to talk tough. You're going nowhere. For what it's worth, God reminded me that shooting you right now would still be murder. Your living or dying is up to him, not me. So that means you're going to help me now? I didn't say that, replied Martin. I didn't think so. What happened to your love for your enemies? You Christians are all phonies. The sound of different voices coming from the power line cut caught Martin's attention. His first worry was that more raiders had appeared. The voices weren't loud or menacing. Peering through the foliage, Martin could see three men with long guns talking to Robert. The space between them spoke of caution or suspicion. Yet their body language wasn't hostile. Their weapons were at low ready. Someone had dragged the dead man in the sweatshirt out of the woods. His body lay between Robert and the strangers. This episode goes live the morning after Thanksgiving, at least Thanksgiving Day as celebrated in America. Our Canadian neighbors have a different day set aside for their Thanksgiving. Germany has their Harvest Thanks Fest in late September. As much as the American holiday keeps morphing into a rather generic turkey day or football day, many people do still use the day to reflect on all that they have to be thankful for. I know my list is long. One of the things I'm thankful for is all of you. Thanks for hanging in there with me through all 118 episodes, over two and a third years. While some of you came in a little later and binged to catch up, so it hasn't been two years for all of you, some of you have been with me from the start. Thanks for your interest and your patience. I'd like to thank Anne, speaking of being thankful, huh, for her generous coffee buy on Buy Me a Coffee. I hope your preparations for winter are wrapping up well, Anne. I've got the yard and gardens all done and ready for winter. I still have to put the snow thrower on the tractor, though. The forecast suggested a significant snow coming next week, although now the weather app says, well, well never mind. Still, I don't want to wait, and we'll get the snow thrower mounted tomorrow. I like to think I learned my lesson about waiting too long years ago. Back then, my mother-in-law was flying in to spend Thanksgiving with us. We got six inches of heavy, wet snow the afternoon she was to arrive. This was before having a phone with apps to alert me to incoming storms. Anyhow, I was at work in Boston then, so there was nothing I could really do about it. While my wife was fine snow-blowing with the tractor, she couldn't put it on the tractor. Mr. I'll-get-to-it-pretty-soon hadn't done his job yet. My poor wife was out shoveling. Her goal was at least a pair of tire ruts down our 400-foot driveway. When she had gotten to the road with her first rut, a neighbor noticed her and took pity. He did driveway clearing as a side job, so he had his plow mounted weeks earlier. He had the job done in maybe ten minutes. So, when I got home from the airport with my mother-in-law, the driveway was clear. I felt quite embarrassed at having been caught in procrastination. Ever since then, I've tried to get the snow thrower mounted, the chains on the tires, and the tank topped up, just in case another one of those sneaky snowstorms pounces. Well, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving, even if it was weeks or months earlier. We have so much to be thankful for. Next week, part two. 
What will happen to the badly wounded Trevor? Who are those strange men? We'll find out next week.